God, thank you that we find a home in you. God, how lovely it is to dwell with you, knowing that you dwell inside of us. Thank you that even the sparrow, even the forgotten, even the lonely, even the least in our world are seen by you, God, and welcomed home. Thank you for being a God who welcomes us into your kingdom, into your family, and transforms us. God, we ask that. Again, we cannot pray enough, God, that you would open up our hearts, that we would receive your welcome, and that you would call us to be people that love you, love one another, and that live out your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So right away in Genesis, we read that in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates a home for humanity. He creates the perfect garden, the one that we were created to live with him in. It was our intended home. We had full life with God in his complete presence. But quickly we learn in that story, right, that we become alienated from God when sin enters the world, when we choose what we think is best. And in turn, we become alienated from one another. That's what sin does. It breaks down our communion with God and with one another. We quickly become exiles, and we're now longing, always longing for home. Can you remember the first time that you longed for home? Maybe for some of you it was pretty recently, if this was your first time coming to Northwestern, leaving a home maybe that you loved, coming here, longing for what used to be, right? Or maybe for some of you, you come from a place of brokenness, maybe in your family of origin, and you've always been longing for a home, that God created deep, a deep desire within us for home. Maybe for some of you at this time of year, your vision of a good home is simply not having to do your own laundry or having a home-cooked meal, not having to share a bathroom with someone, although I don't know how many of us really have our own bathrooms, I suppose, but anyway. Um, we're free from the burden of classes and schedule. Maybe that's your vision of home right now. You know, it's interesting, the Bible actually has an overarching theme of exile and homecoming. Right, the people of God, even in the very beginning, after they leave the garden, they have this longing for home, but quickly we see in the Old Testament that the people of God become exiles in the land of Egypt. They're away from their home. They're people without an identity, without a land to call their own. Because sin, again, disconnected them from one another. Just as they did, we all long for a familiar place where love is offered without conditions, where we're fully known and fully loved and seen. A place where we can be vulnerable without being used or abused or oppressed. And God has invited us in to this story, to this narrative. This same identity that the people of the Old Testament found in being exiles is what we find ourselves today considering. So over the next two days, we're going to be talking about the theme, as Justin said, of hospitality. But before we can consider what it means for us to practice hospitality, before we can even consider what it is, I want us to consider 
that God is the most hospitable being in the universe because God is the only one that can fully welcome us home again. How God makes us a part of his family. We need to look at the character of God and who he is before we can respond by asking, what does that require us to do? Who does that make us become as the people of God? So when you first hear hospitality, what comes to mind? I know for many of us, we think of moms in the kitchen baking cookies. We think of luxurious homes. We live in the time of, right, like, Magnolia. I can't even remember her name. Joanna Gaines, right? Chip and Joanna Gaines, Fixer Uppers. We think of their farmhouse tables. Oh, that must be hospitality. If we just had a long table that we could invite everyone to. But in our world, hospitality has become a market rather than a ministry. We purchase hospitality, right? We purchase food. We can go through a drive-thru and be fed, have our needs met. We can purchase a hotel. We can purchase service. But is that the essence of hospitality? There's a man named Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, and he hosts a hospitality house in North Carolina called the Rupa House. And he named it that after an act of hospitality that he experienced when he was in Iraq. But he created this home in North Carolina out of a motivation and love for others and a love of God. And he says this, humans can't live without hospitality, but we have tried to professionalize it in the West. Rather than rely on the hospitality of strangers when we travel, we have hotel chains with trusted brands and online reviews. We eat at restaurants where the menu is posted and the prices are all prearranged. By placing my order, I agree to the contract by which my daily bread is provided at a set price. But if you travel to the Middle East, you learn that this isn't the only way people survive in the world. A friend in Iraq told me that hospitality is a pact in his culture. When I eat at his table, he is not only welcoming me into his home, he is promising to defend my life with his own until the food that I've eaten is digested. So in some ways, we've lost the art and the practice of hospitality in the church in the West because we've lost our need for it. We live such isolated, sometimes lonely, individualistic lives where we have our secure homes that keep us safe, we think, that protect us from the fear of one another. So truly, what is hospitality? Is it inviting your friends over? Is it inviting over the people that you like, the people with whom you share things in common? So the world presents a lot of views of what hospitality is, but today I wanna to consider what makes hospitality distinctly Christian and why is it significant for us to maybe recover and reimagine what it could look like for our lives in the Christian community after some of my study of hospitality and seeing stories of people practicing it, I've considered that this is what it means to offer Christian hospitality. It's creating a home for strangers, those who are estranged from God and from one another. In the Greek, hospitality, when mentioned within the Bible, it actually means love of the stranger, literally. And we find a vision of this kind of hospitality all throughout the scripture. The early church practiced this. They welcomed one another into another's homes. They were one of the few people that practiced hospitality in such a way that they were able to gather together people of different socioeconomic statuses, 
people with power, people without in their society, people of different ethnicities. They desired the desire to serve the poor and the outcast. And this was one of the greatest signs of their witness to Christ. People were drawn to Jesus, to the gospel story. They were welcomed into the kingdom because of the early church's generous practice of hospitality. Hospitality was also a huge identifier of the people of God. Even in the Old Testament, God said to Abraham, in essence, don't forget that you were once strangers in the land of Egypt, so you too are called to welcome others. The people of God, the Israelites, were the stranger and foreigners in the land of Egypt and were welcomed and rescued by God. So they were called to welcome the stranger in their midst. I know many of us probably don't spend a lot of time, unless we're like in an Old Testament class, we don't spend a lot of time in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but if you spend any time there, you will see a lot of the language about how we are called to welcome strangers among us. But again, the heart of hospitality begins with how we understand the heart of God. God welcomes us to the, into his kingdom. Can we say today that God is the great host who welcomes us into his family through the work of what Jesus has done? God is the host who led his people into the promised land, out of exile and impression into a new future. He is the host who provided food for the people in the desert. He is the host who tabernacled among his people, guiding them by his holy presence day and night. His light led them to their promised destination, the home that they were longing for in Canaan and the promised land. That is a vision that we have as well today. Sometimes we've removed ourselves from the biblical narrative, but we need to remember that the Jewish people, again, were more known from being people of exile and not belonging. They were the least of the society. They didn't have a home or a land, and how important that is in the culture, in the, in the ancient world that they were living in, to not have a land, to not have something to call your own, that's your identity, to not have a home. And God's saying, you are my people, you are my household, I love you, I will provide you with a home. And God welcomes in that the least of these to come to him. Hospitality for the early church became different than how others practiced it simply because it welcomed the least of our society and those on the margins. Most people only invited their families over or only practiced hospitality to gain more power. In Luke 14, we see this story where Jesus goes to the Pharisee, a Pharisee's house and he observes really quickly that many of the Pharisees are fighting over the highest seat of honor in the house. They want to be honored. They want more power. And Jesus basically calls them out on it. He uses as a teaching lesson that in the kingdom of God, we are to be humbled and we are to invite people over that can't repay us back. We do this because this is exactly what God has done for us. We cannot repay God back for what he has done. He has invited us into his kingdom freely and graciously. We can't repay him. He left the highest scene of honor, his home in heaven, to come and live among us. He has loved the least and the stranger when he came to save us. So this morning, I want to consider that we are the strangers. We all are strangers. We're in need of God to come to us, come to our home, to turn us from strangers into friends and citizens of the kingdom. 
but many of us fear coming home. I don't know your story. I don't know what kind of home you come from. I don't know if there's brokenness, dysfunction, lots of difficulty. I know when I came to college for my freshman year, I went to a school in Indiana. I had a lot of turmoil going on in my home back in Illinois, and I was really numb and didn't desire community. I wanted to just stay in my room and talk to my friends from high school. I didn't want to be there. But there were some women on my floor, because I lived in the residence hall, who just kept coming to me. They kept moving toward me even then I, when I didn't want it. And finally, I was curious, what kind of life are they living? And I began to spend time with them. They spent time with me. They came to my home, because I didn't have it in me to go toward them or even know what I needed. So sometimes we fear coming to this home of God. We fear a new unknown land. We've become really comfortable with being people of exile. We've been comfortable with our identity in this world. We like to seek power and we've tried to save ourselves. Again, in the same way the people of God in Israel found this same struggle, right? They go to the desert and they start complaining right away because they long for the comfort of their home, even if it was them living under oppression and exile. They didn't have trust that God would bring them to a new and better home. They lacked a trust that God really had a good place intended for them. In Luke 15, we find a similar story of this fear of coming home to God. Jesus tells the story of the parable of the prodigal son. For many of us, this is really, really a familiar story. But do we see the vision here of coming home? We see the story of a son wondering if he can really come home again after all he's done. We see a son who never understood how good he had it at home until he left. A son who squandered the generosity of his father. And in the end, simply longed to be back in his presence, to have a taste again of the good life, no matter what it would cost him. So whether we've experienced oppression or estrangement and alienation at the hands of another, maybe like the Israelite people, or we've made our own bed of bad choices, like the prodigal son. God is calling us all home into a new land and new identity as his children. We've forgotten what home is like, so we've settled for lesser versions of it. We must know that the goodness of coming home to God before we can offer that to other people. So maybe like the prodigal son, you fear coming home because of a risk of rejection. Will your father actually accept you back after all you've done? Will the severity of your sin and your brokenness keep you from his love? How can you really be restored and redeemed after all you've done? And so what we find in Luke 15 is the passage on the screen says this. But while he, the son, was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. This is the very picture of the God who welcomes us in, who runs after us, who welcomes us home and prepares a celebration feast for our return. God knows we can't get back to him on his own, right? 
So he, the great host of heaven, the creator of all things, the creator of this earthly home, he leaves all of heaven's glory, empties himself, and comes to us, comes to our home. Jesus, the host, becomes a guest in our world by taking on flesh. There's a couple different ways John 1 talks about this. In the New Living Translation, it says this, So the word became human and made his home among us. In the message, in that same passage, says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. He lived so close to us. He came to us because we couldn't go on to him on our own. In coming to live among us, he made us friends and not strangers. He came to remind us that we belong to him. and He is restoring all things so we can come back to home. He's redeeming our broken visions of home. While the Savior of the Lord world became a guest in our world, we see him practicing hospitality, and that's what I want us to consider for the remainder of our time together. Jesus comes and befriends us, sinners, strangers. He welcomes even his own enemies into his home, and he eats with them. It's said by some that Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. We see this a lot in Luke. If you spend time in Luke, you'll see Jesus is going into a lot of homes and eating a lot of meals with people. Some have even said that Jesus was killed because of the way he ate. If we remember how the scriptures and the Gospels teach about Jesus eating, what was he known for? This man eats with sinners. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the ones on the outskirts of society, those are the people that were present at the table with him. In most cultures, the table is the focal point of hospitality, and Jesus broke all the social norms in those communities. I could tell you example, example in the Gospels of Jesus welcoming people in. He welcomed the woman in to wash his feet when he's at a meal. And everyone said, what is she doing? And he welcomed and said, she is truly worshiping me. Social boundary markers were so important in this first century world that Jesus lived in. Meals were the way that those boundaries were maintained and kept. The Jews knew so clearly who was in and who was out. In some ways, maybe we feel like we don't live by a set of social norms like that. But it's pretty clear to us, if we think about it for too long, there are people who are in and out, maybe in our own community right here. Can we think of some of those groups that are looked at as outcasts or like they don't belong? Many of us might even identify with that. Maybe we feel like we don't belong for one reason or another. Jesus welcomes you in to the table, and he wants to feed you as well. But not only that, but Jesus relied on the hospitality of other people. He was the host of hospitality, but he was often the guest. He is born without a place to lay his head. He dies and is crucified outside of the city gates, which is a sign of his rejection by the community. His story is one of not belonging, of coming to his own people, to his home, and they're not receiving him, not practicing hospitality to receive the Savior of the world. The cross is the picture of the radical cost of hospitality, Sometimes in our pictures of hospitality, when we think of people baking things or people making food or having a beautiful home, sometimes those become feminine displays of what it means to be hospi hospitable people. And sometimes we think hospitality is just easy. It 
It's about being with our friends. But Jesus on the cross reminds us that hospitality and welcoming people into the kingdom of God comes with great risk and great cost to God. And so it will come with great risk and great cost to us. Tim Keller says this. Jesus came to bring the human race home. This is from his book, Prodigal God. Therefore, he did not come in strength, but in weakness. He came and experienced the exile that we deserved. He was expelled from the presence of the Father. He was thrust into darkness, the uttermost despair of spiritual alienation in our place. He took up himself the full curse of human rebellion, cosmic homelessness, so that we could be welcomed into our true home. Not only did Jesus welcome us through the death, life, and resurrection, not only did that happen for us individually, but it happened for us as a community. In Ephesians 2, we find this language about how we're welcomed into the family of God. So this home is not just about a secure, safe home for me to live in by myself and just be in relationship personally with God, but it's about our community and what we create as the household of God, as we belong in this house. So in Ephesians 2, it says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you were who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we have, both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners. This is our identity. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you hear the home language and what God has wanted to create through us? The spirit dwells inside of us. The spirit dwells among us as his people. The spirit has somehow made a home in us, but has also created a family which in the most idealistic picture of family, we long for home, we long for a family to which we belong, and God has given us that. If you spend any other time in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2, you see our identity as a chosen people of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. This is our identity. People belong to a home of God. I want to say to us again that God is the most hospitable being in the world. The one who welcomes a stranger home with open arms. He has welcomed us. We are wanderers. We are strangers. We are once far off and we've been brought into the kingdom. 
and he has given us a ministry, which we find in Romans 15, 7, and it says this, Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this morning, I would I invite you to extend your hands out. This is a posture of openness when we open our hands before God. I want to read something over you to receive from God. This is a posture of receiving. A receiving of God's welcome and movement in your life by his spirit. May we be people who run into God's arms. People who do not fear coming home, no matter how long it has been. May we become a people who welcome the mighty power of God's indwelling in us so that we will be transformed. May we remember the God who welcomed us in our loneliness, our estrangement, and in our wandering, so that we may welcome others for the glory of God. May we say yes when Jesus knocks. May we open our hearts to God. May God make a home in us. Amen.